Ciao amici. Welcome to Cinema Italiano, the podcast dedicated to the Italian experience as told by film. Today, we'll be talking about Alice Rohrwacher's 2011 film Corpo Celeste, or Heavenly Body. But before we dive into the film, I wanted to share some news updates. Unfortunately, there's both good and bad news. First, on the good news front, excited to share that we have a new website. Everything's been moved over from the previous website to the new one, cinemaitalianopodcast.com. That's all one word, cinemaitalianopodcast.com. Um, and as part of the new refresh, um, we launched with some new essays on three films by Lena Wertmuller, All Screwed Up, Summer Night, and Ferdinando and Carolina. Um, all of her movies just recently expired on the Criterion channel last month, February 2020, so I made a point to catch up with all of them that I could see um, and had a ton of fun. She's a great director, and it was exciting to get to see so much of her filmography throughout the years bundled together in one collection. In other Criterion Channel news, featured are Pier Paolo Pasolini's Trilogy of Life, which includes The Decameron, The Canterbury Tales, and Arabian Nights. All three are definitely worth checking out, but if you've only got room for one, I would recommend Arabian Nights, which is my favorite of the three, but they're all really great, and there's a lot to enjoy about each one. We've also got Liliana Cavani's The Skin, which I admit I haven't seen yet, but I'm excited to see another film from such an interesting director. The only film of hers I've seen is The Night Porter, which was a little different, but I appreciate its bold vision, and I'm curious to see more movies from her. In industry news, the Berlinale, the Berlin Film Festival, just took place a couple of weeks ago, and some major awards went out to Italian films. The award for Best Actor went to Elio Germano for his performance in Hidden Away, and the award for Best Screenplay went to the Dinocenzo brothers for their script for Bad Tales, or Favolace. In other awards news, um, coming soon are the David D. Donatello Awards, which are like Italy's version of the Oscars. Originally, they were going to be in April in just a couple of weeks, um, but tentatively, tentatively, they've been pushed out to May, and more on that in a second. The five films nominated for Best Film are The First King, Martin Eden, Pinocchio, Piranhas, and The Traitor. Not all of these are available in the United States yet, but you can currently see The First King and Piranhas both digitally and through home video. The Traitor is currently in theaters. Um, I think it's kind of doing a slow rollout. And then Martin Eden is coming towards the end of the month, also for a slow rollout. Um, Pinocchio has not been announced yet, as far as I know, but Matteo Garona's previous film, Dogman, did make it to the U.S., um, so I'm hopeful that this will come uh, to North America at some point. Among some of the other nominees are The Champion and Sole, both nominated for Best New Director, and Suspiria, which is nominated in some technical awards. Um, the Champion I want to call it in particular because I got to interview the director Leonardo D'Agostini a couple months back at the Palm Springs International Film Festival. Um, I really enjoyed the film and I loved getting to speak with him. So I'm really excited to see him listed among the nominees. I also got to see Sole at that Fels Festival, um, and I featured a review here on the website. And then Suspiria, we did a special Halloween episode for back in last October. It's exciting to go into this year's award ceremony, having gotten to see several of the films and even met some of the nominees. Um, so whenever the awards do happen, hopefully soon, um, it'll be fun to it'll be fun to see how it plays out. 
Um, and then the last piece of fun news, um, this is Women's History Month, and International Women's Day was last weekend. So on Instagram right now, we're doing posts every single day to highlight important historical figures and great female artists of Italian film. And now kind of pivoting to the bad news and the elephant that's probably in every room you're in right now. Um, the day of recording is March 15th, 2020, and we and the world is going through um, the coronavirus outbreak right now. Um, this all started a couple months back. Um, as of right now, the most impacted countries to date have been China, Italy, and Iran, but things are changing and unfortunately getting worse every single day. Um, countries are going under quarantine, or individual communities are, travel's been restricted and it's harder to get around, um, and kind of one of the most prevalent responses to all this is what's been called social distancing, essentially quarantining oneself at home uh, to avoid physical or in-person contact with others to prevent the spread, infection, disease of, of the virus. Um, how this kind of fits into Italian film in a couple of ways. Um, when things were first hitting Italy, um, there was a news report that to kind of combat and help prevent the spread of disease, um, movie theaters were requiring that guests sit three seats apart, um, so that way they wouldn't get too close and potentially infect other patrons. Um, but then just a couple of days later, basically the entire country went under quarantine mode. Um, and that I first heard about, interestingly, was through Instagram, was through the Instagram account of director Paolo Sorrentino, who you may know from The Great Beauty, youth or the tv shows the young pope and the new pope um, a kind of social media movement going on in italy is the hashtag yo resto a casa which means i stay at home um, and this has been kind of a both a movement but also just kind of a fun way to show like what are people doing at home or what are they doing to be socially responsible by staying at home um, there's been a lot of videos going around of what movies people are watching, what people are cooking, um, or even neighborhoods and or even apartment buildings in Italy in particular where the neighbors are singing and performing and making music together. Um, so it's, you know, we're in the midst of a global tragedy and pandemic. There's no other way to put it. Um, but in other ways, it's neat to see how are people turning this into something positive and how are they kind of reconnecting with those around them in a way we're united through our isolation and that's something we can build solidarity and community around So now that the bleak stuff is out of the way, wanted to move back into the main program. Uh, so we're talking about Alice Rohrwacher's Corpo Celeste, or Heavenly Body. Um, this was my first time seeing it. Um, I had previously, I had seen her most recent film, Lazzaro Felice, or Happy as Lazzaro, um, as soon as it was available on Netflix, and really enjoyed it. Um, and so I was excited to see this film 
as well as the Wonders, are currently available on the Criterion channel in a little bundle for Alice Rohrwacher. The quick summary of Corporal Celeste is, 13-year-old Marta has recently moved back to southern Italy with her mother and older sister and struggles to find her place, relentlessly testing the boundaries of an unfamiliar city and the catechism of the Catholic Church. One of the major elements is the figure of Marta, as a parallel to the biblical figure of the same name. In the Bible, Marta, or Martha, is the sister of Mary and Lazarus. Christ comes to visit the two sisters, Martha and Mary, and Mary is attentive and open to what he has to say, while Martha is busy with work and preparations and doesn't make time to listen to the word of Christ. The takeaway from this story is to not be like Martha, occupying oneself with busyness and to make yourself open to the word of God. The Marta of this film is characterized in a similar way. She is also preoccupied with work and busyness, nearly isolating herself from what's around her, and doesn't know much of faith and religion. In an early scene, at a religious ceremony, she watches a priest do the sign of the cross and tries to mimic him, but clearly doesn't know what she's supposed to do. Even on her own, her mind and attention goes to labor and busyness. In moments of stress or pressure, her only real escape is to gaze outside her apartment building, where she sees other types of work, commuters on their way to their jobs, street cleaners, even a neighbor doing laundry. That said, the film is certainly not critical or judgmental of this modern-day Martha. Her family is clearly poor, borrowing clothes from her sister's boyfriend, and they dread paying rent. Their building stairway is barely lit, and she eats a frozen meal for one. Her world is one strapped for cash and desperate for work, and there is no view, literally, that she can see for herself that is not one of labor. Being tied down to work and not opened up to faith is an interesting dichotomy given that Marta is taking classes for confirmation. Structurally, one would think reaching this sacrament, a major step in becoming an adult in the Catholic Church, would be a meaningful milestone for her. But even on the day of confirmation, Marta asks her priest, Don Mario, After confirmation, what do we do? Don Mario replies, Nothing. Just go to Mass. The breakthrough doesn't exist here. It's a return to obligation, busyness, and, in a way, work. Marta stays a Marta and doesn't become a Mary. This brings us to another recurring element of Corpo Celeste, expectations versus reality, and eventual disappointment. In an early scene, it's the birthday of Rosetta, Marta's older sister, and the whole family is gathered together. When the meal is over, Marta quietly disappears and emerges with a cake she's made. She's 13 years old, so the cake doesn't look great, and it's a little burnt and crusty, but Marta wears this big smile and pride for what she's made and is contributing to the family. Nobody wants any, though. They say they're too full and didn't save any room for dessert. Marta's acting is subtle here, but her face changes to one of such hurt and disappointment. Her mother does have a piece of cake, crusty and charred as it is, and remarks how good it is. But the non-response from the rest of the family is clearly not what Marta was picturing, her work having gone unappreciated. Marta's experience matches that of her confirmation teacher, Santa. Santa faces disappointment after disappointment, among the confirmation students, her peers in planning the ceremony, and even the priest Don Mario. He stumbles into the classroom one day as the kids are practicing a song to sing at the confirmation ceremony. Santa asks if he wants to stay and hear them rehearse, with a hopeful expression that he'll be glad to hear the students who've been practicing for so long. 
He hesitates a moment, says yes, but leaves early before the song is even finished. Later on, when playing the confirmation ceremony itself, Santa and her peers at the church are talking through what to include. Santa wants to have food and drink and turn it into a real celebration, while the other women try and talk her down, remarking that nobody stays after the actual ceremony. It feels like Santa is the only one who cares and wants to make this event special, and those around her are apathetic, disinterested, and unappreciative of her work. Just like Marta. In her role as confirmation teacher, Santa asks a seemingly simple question to the class that turns out to permeate throughout the film. She asks her students, who is the church, as a multiple choice question. Among the options she gives are the Pope, other priests, the general public. The right answer given by a student is the people, and it's interesting to see different manifestations of the church and who makes up the church throughout the film. Priests are certainly not depicted as being community-serving, or particularly stand-up men. Don Mario, the parish priest, is often distracted, even self-interested. His phone is always ringing, as he's waiting for news of his transfer. He wants to leave the small town and go somewhere bigger, where he says he can serve more people. That would also raise his profile, and could put him in line to become bishop someday. The day of the confirmation ceremony, their local bishop and another priest come by to give the sacrament. They do not join the parishioners, though, and opt to eat and drink alone in a conference room. Santa sees the opportunity to learn more about what awaits her church and parish, and asks what will become of Don Mario and his expected transfer. The other priest scoffs and replies, Who are you to the church? If the church is not Santa, lay women and men who teach and encourage the youth on their faith formation journey, who is? Even Santa's peers seemingly couldn't care less and Marta's fellow confirmation students seem largely disinterested. Is the church a community at all, or is it these sole individuals trying their best to participate despite all the obstacles and roadblocks? The sinking disappointment and realities of religious institutions bring us to another concept explored in Corpo Celeste, the sacred and the profane. The sacred and the profane is a dichotomy coined by the sociologist Emile Durkheim. The sacred is what's knowable, set apart and forbidden, and is distinct from the profane, that which is knowable in the everyday, tangible world. This is explored thoroughly in the film's very first scene. It's a religious feast day with religious statues and figures. Don Mario is expected to speak, and pilgrims have come from all over to come participate. The intent and purpose of this gathering is something sacred, a spiritual event and experience. The profane ultimately leaks in, though, as Don Mario's microphone and megaphone are pitchy and generate a piercing feedback. Even during the ceremony, his cell phone goes off, spoiling what should be a sacred moment with interruptions from mundane, everyday technology. That said, this could also be presented as not judgmental, but more of a concession that this is simply how it is, a community making do with what they have, determined to hold this event even with imperfect equipment or a disappointing priest. Is the profane so detrimental that we shouldn't strive for the sacred, however distant and unknowable it may be? Within the profane, the everyday and mundane, there is strong distinction between the natural and the artificial and how we respond and navigate between that divide. Throughout the film, Marta is almost always shown indoors, confined, arguably trapped in classrooms, apartments, churches, automobiles. 
When she looks outside, she sees a bleak concrete landscape of highways, apartment buildings, and literal garbage. She yearns to go to the beach, asking her mom if they can go, and stares off into any window she gets near. Within a world of artificiality and confinement, the openness and freedom the nature represents calls to her. During the confirmation ceremony, at the end of the film, Marta leaves and goes under a bridge she crosses multiple times throughout the film. It's a bridge that connects where she lives with the church, and she crosses over a canal with some water, but is mostly filled with trash. Dressed in her borrowed confirmation finery, she trudges through the water and comes out the other side, where kids have built a shanty living room of sorts, with furniture, a bed, and even a skeleton structure. A little boy comes up to her and says, Want to see a miracle? He hands her something. Look, he says, it's still alive. A couple moments later, we see she's holding a squirming, though living, worm, and she gives a slight smile. In a world of artificiality and literal garbage, it's a, quote, miracle that something, even as lowly as a worm, is still alive and survives through it. The earth and plant life may be long buried under concrete, but in the midst of the urban landscape, life still manages to emerge from the rubble. If a worm can do it, maybe so can Marta. Corpo Celeste is not a film that I instantly loved, but I kept thinking of particular moments, emotions, and questions that it raised. I found the second viewing even more powerful, and while its mysteries weren't fully explained or revealed, its religious themes and explorations rose even more to the surface. This was Alice Rohrwacher's first fiction feature film, and was followed by The Wonders and later Happy as Lazaro. I still have yet to see The Wonders, but this one certainly has elements and ideas that are explored further in Happy as Lazaro, and the two make excellent companions. In addition to Happy as Lazzaro, I think another Italian film that, that explores similar ideas to Corpo Celeste is Ettore Scola's A Special Day. While it's not as religious in subject matter, the plight of the two lead characters, played by Marcello Mastroianni and Sofia Loren, as two good people that are confined, repressed, and also forced indoors, um, who find a way to connect and flourish when they find a way out. Reminded me a lot of Marta and Santa, two people trapped within institutions with good intentions and strive to make the most of the challenging plight that they're in. In particular, there's a scene in a special day that's very evocative of the scene of sort of pathetic disappointment that Marta has with the cake. Sophia Loren's character plays a housewife and a mother who is trapped at home by her husband, bound by her responsibility to her kids, and is just at home in her apartment all day. When she encounters Marcello Mastroianni's character, one of the first things she shares with him is her photo album of Mussolini. It's photographs and news clippings of him and she's so excited and proud of this compilation she's put together of a dictator. And while it's not as 
touching as Marta making a cake. There's a kind of pathetic sadness and almost sweetness in how much she's put into this, how proud she is of it. And it's something that ultimately falls flat and doesn't mean anything to those around her. This one's also available on the Criterion channel if you'd like to stream it. Thank you very much for listening. Make sure to stay indoors, stay safe during this weird time. Um, there's a lot of great Italian movies to check out, so hopefully there's stuff to keep you busy. Um, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or however you listen to this show. And until next time, ciao amici.